Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on the Everything 80s podcast, why did Stephen King hate The Shining? I was thinking along the lines of no TV and no beer make Homer something something. Go crazy? Don't mind if I do! Hey guys, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out today. And we are looking at what is one of the most iconic and influential movies ever made in The Shining. And honestly, one of my favorites, if not my favorite movie ever now. It's if, if you've seen The Shining, you know this sort of like impact it can have on you that sort of draws you back to continue to watch it and how deep this movie actually goes. But the big thing is why the author of the book, The Shining, Stephen King, hated the movie version. So we're going to look at everything to do with that. But before we start, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe to the podcast wherever you find your podcasts. I should be in every place possible right now. Okay, let's take a look at why Stephen King hated The Shining. So with the coming release of the new Doctor Sleep movie, which is essentially a sequel to The Shining, I thought it was worth looking you know, back on this whole issue of how the legacy of The Shining, but then this idea you know, with Stephen King actually hating the whole thing. So in case you haven't seen the movie, honestly, stop right now and go watch it. Like, do not come back to this podcast until you have seen this movie, ever. So if you need a recap to kind of put everything into place, the, the movie revolves around the Torrance family, Father Jack, Mother Wendy, and son Danny, Little Danny is seemingly a little disturbed, and he has an imaginary friend he talks to called Tony. Jack is a part-time writer, a part-time alcoholic, and has taken a caretaker job at the Overlook Hotel in Colorado. He and his family will spend the winter there while it's closed, keep an eye on the place, um, keep it up and running, but it also gives Jack time to write. So during his job interview, he finds out that there was actually a brutal murder at the hotel years ago by the old caretaker who murdered his family. The guy apparently went stir crazy, but they also share that the hotel, you know, maybe not, is not what it seems. It was built on an old Indian burial ground and there may be some, um, haunting potential issues, but it's not enough to deter Jack. So things start out well enough, but then some weird things start happening around the hotel. Danny, sees some creepy twins, a tennis ball rolls in front of him out of nowhere. Danny has met, uh, while they're getting a tour of the hotel, he's met an older man who also possesses what's called the shining. It's a way to, people are able to talk to each other through their minds. And that's the great Scatman Crothers playing Holloran. So with this shining, Danny has foreseen some of the terrible situations that will unfold at the Overlook. These things start to slowly come to fruition and we see Jack starting to unravel a bit. 
over the course of the movie, he encounters um, a ghost bartender in the hotel's grand ballroom. We find Danny bruised and, and shaken up, and Wendy believes there's a crazy woman living in room 237. Jack has another encounter with the, this ghostly woman. Then he arrives at the full New Year's Eve party, which is attended by hundreds of people in that same ballroom. Jack meets the ghost of Grady, who is one of the last caretakers, and Grady tells Jack he must correct his son and wife from the way they're acting. Danny now has kind of connected and, and reached out to Holleran using The Shining, which makes Holleran spring into action to get to the hotel because he knows what is potentially able to transpire. So Jack is now flipped out. He's taken out with a baseball bat by Wendy. Wendy locks him in the um, pantry room in the fridge and then finds out Jack has sabotaged any way for her and Danny to escape. We eventually get to, you know, the famous red rum scene and Jack chopping down the bathroom door to get to Wendy. Holleran shows up. Oh, spoilers here, just in case I didn't mention that before. Uh, Holleran shows up only to be murdered by Jack, who then pursues Danny through the winter night in the outdoor hedge maze. Danny is able to outfoil his dad, who eventually succumbs to the elements. Wendy and Jack escape, and our last shot shows a group picture in the ballroom taken in 1921, and right front and center is a picture of Jack in it. Okay, so looking at getting this movie put together. So the original book is written in 1977. The movie was developed by Stanley Kubrick and novelist Diane Johnson. So with just some of the details, it was mainly filmed in England, and one of the big things was... They filmed at Elstree Studios, which is where they did a lot of Star Wars. They also made use of a new technology called the Steadicam, which is which is, allows for more immersive shots and it brings you deeper into the scene. And, and the, the, you've probably seen these now because they're commonplace in everything, especially in sports. But this was pretty much brand new at the time. So with the Steadicam, they can walk through scenes, keeping the camera exactly steady it there's no sort of um bumping or distortion or anything like that so it can sort of effort effortlessly glide through and again it, it allows for more um immersion into the the picture and the image and the scene and whatever that is so again commonplace now but at the time it created a new dynamic that people hadn't seen in movies before and the movie was released on may 23rd 1980 and like a lot of classics do, it came out to some mixed reviews, you know, besides Stephen King's. Um, it ended up making around $44 million against a budget of $19 million, which that budget had grown crazy out of control, apparently. But it was still a decent moneymaker. And again, like it took years for the impact of The Shining to better resonate with people. When you see it for, for the first time, it does make an impact, but Obviously, as the years have gone by, people see have seen more and more of the genius into it and more of the deeper themes and everything. And now, obviously, considered one of the most influential and greatest horror movies and regular movies ever made. It's got many iconic moments that have become part of pop culture. And most everyone knows some of these specific scenes and lines, even if they've never seen the movie, including, you know, Jack Nicholson saying, here's Johnny when he... Um, looks through the door after he chops it, which he improvised apparently. That whole idea of red rum, everyone's usually familiar with that. The elevators of blood, people know that image. The you know creepy twin girls sing "Hello, Danny," and "Won't you play with us?" Everyone, you know, even if you haven't seen the movie, you know these 
um, pretty well. So uh, a few other fun facts regarding the movie, things I didn't know till researching it more. Also up to play the role of Jack, Robert De Niro, Robin Williams, and Harrison Ford, which is very interesting. And it's amazing to picture what this movie would have been like with any of these actors. And I actually can see all of them working really well, especially Robert De Niro. I think he would have worked perfectly. I, all of them. Har- Harrison Ford can play that perfect, you know, kind of controlled insanity as he descends into chaos. And then Robin Williams, that would be pretty crazy to picture what he would have done with this. And I, and again, I think he would have captured it well. So Stephen King, though, didn't like any of those choices and actually wasn't too fond of Jack Nicholson playing the role of Jack Torrance, but we'll get to that in a bit. So let's look at very quickly some of the themes of The Shining. Because if, I mean, if you have... 8,000 hours free, you could start pouring through all the books, essays, videos, blogs that discuss the various themes of The Shining. If you've seen the documentary Room 237, you know how deep people have gone with the themes and the true intent of what this movie was and how off the rails fans can get regarding things like this. That Yeah, watch that if you... I've watched that a few times and it's it's pretty insanely deep. But... When it comes to The Shining, you probably, if you're a fan of the movie, you've probably heard of or are familiar with some of these themes. So one of the big one was the purpose of this movie was to show the destruction of the Native American by the white man, basically, and the decimation of the people. Because there's references within the movie regarding, you know, the Native American burial ground as well. A lot of Native American motifs throughout the movie and a lot of specific art, artwork and imagery and the movie is you know playing to the horrors that happen um to the native americans the no- the other theme or another theme was the movie being an admission of guilt because kubrick was involved in helping to fake the moon landing the use of room 237 specifically and why that's noted of all numbers is because the moon is around 237,000 miles away from earth and then with some of those scenes we see specifically Danny wearing an Apollo spaceship sweater. I mean, obviously that one's a stretch. Other themes, uh, the movie dealing with the Holocaust. Uh, the other themes, the usual battle between good and evil that exists in every person. Um, the power of the mind and everything that happened in the hotel was a figment of their imagination. There's themes that the movie's looking at, the crisis of masculinity sexism racism and corporate america all into one thing again we could be here for days just things with like are there the questions regarding if all those encounters in the movie are really ghosts because every time jack sees them he's looking in a mirror watch watch this through the movie there's always a mirror when he's having one of these encounters but then again this just could reflect the internal struggles of jack and the opposition to himself that are occurring internally and psychologically okay here bear with me on this one this is uh, um, deeper but this is probably one of the best interpretations of the shining and what the imagery and symbolism all means and it's taken from uh, a youtube video a channel i just recently stumbled across by a guy named max Derrett, which I, i think is one of the best interpretations i've seen and so it starts with this idea of the red book, which is an actual book by um, Carl Jung. And in the scene when Jack is interviewing for the job, 
there is a red book that is sitting on the desk in the room. When he comes in, it's sitting like lined up with the other papers under it. When there's a shot behind the desk, the book is now twisted at an odd angle, which makes it seem like you're supposed to notice it. And again, if you know anything about Kubrick, is there's there are no shots or scenes in a movie or any of his movies that are left to chance. Everything you see is there for a reason. And he'll specifically mess up shots just to kind of mess with the idea of continuity. Like he'll have a chair in you know in the background of uh, one shot then when it cuts back the chair's gone then it's there again and again with specifically with this movie and the overlook hotel that might relate to some of the you know supernatural effects that are going on but this book uh, was pointed out to be called the red book or liber novus by um young and some say that this book is actually a hotel guide, which are also read. But any anyway, the themes that come from this are the connections with the psychology of Carl Jung. So the narrative along with Kubrick's, I believe, is about striking the balance between the supernatural and the psych- psychological. The idea here is that the Overlook Hotel is actually the main character of the movie and that it's the external representation of the internal conscious mind. Hopefully I can break this all down, but the theory, this, this theory explains that there are three states of consciousness, consciousness that every person has the conscious, the unconscious, and then the hypnagogic, which the hypnagogic state exists between the conscious and the unconscious. And it's where the two sort of blend together. And this is what the hotel represents that part of our psyche The overlook is in this hypnagogic state in that it bleeds together the contents of your unconscious and the collective unconscious of humanity. And that may be why of all the blood that comes out of the elevators, these two kind of consciousness are bleeding together. In the hotel, psychic content from the mind comes alive. When Danny and Halloran shine together, it's a connection between their unconscious and it's thought the hotel can do this as well. The problem is, is it's sending violent connections to Jack as the hotel is believed to have a collective unconscious. And this is the type of unconscious that is built into us that has primitive origins. And we seem to have this human default mode to be violent and to be evil. And it's built into us. And again, it, it's primitive and it's for survival. The same mindset is built into the Overlook Hotel, which is now sharing it with Jack and, you know, and Grady and any past incidents of violence. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So this all kind of comes together because of the, you know, maybe the killing of the Native Americans and that left behind a psychic energy in the hotel, which again gets passed on to Jack. So the hotel's ability to shine is also why Danny is able to see those visions of all the death that will eventually come true. So the hotel 
also shares this energy by showing us images that are part of that, you know, that primitive consciousness. And we're able to identify with them on sort of like a very animalistic nature. That That's why when we see images of blood, the decaying woman, the death, the you know, things like that, we can resonate with those images because they're built into our primitive consciousness and we identify them well. It's also why they also call this an ancestral experience. And it's probably, again, why we see the blood, the skeletons in the ballroom, the decaying women because of the connection we have to that. So, I mean, that's just the rough summary of it. Basically, the hotel has an evil subconscious and it can connect those thoughts by shining into the unconscious of other people. And that's to represent that same battle that happens within our own minds. We have these primitive and sort of dangerous and evil thoughts and it's it's about trying to you know push those away and ignoring and sort of suppressing all that kind of primitive ancestral experience that's built into us and and that's sort of represented by you know the evils of mankind and and being in conflict with himself and herself or you know mankind's self the whole time so again it's a little <laughs> kind of deep. Hopefully I explained that well, but that that's probably the, one of the best interpretations I can see is that, you know, that battle and, and ignoring all that, that happens within the, the psyche. And so to get back on track with the movie, and if you haven't gathered by now, this movie is very iconic and it's important and it's deeply analyzed and relevant. Um, so why did Stephen King hate it? The good news is, we have a lot of answers from his own mouth. And a lot of this comes from an interview by uh, the TCM documentary called A Night at the Movies, The Horrors of Stephen King. So let's look at five specific reasons why he hated The Shining. The first one was he didn't think the characters were developed enough. King believes there isn't a real character arc throughout the movie the way there is in the book. He believes this specifically with the character of Jack in the book, Jack Torrance starts out as a normal happy guy and then has a real descent into horror and madness in the movie. It appears Jack is unhinged right from the get go. Something just seems off about him uh, and it doesn't take long for him to unravel even just right at the start. Watch the scene where Jack's waiting to go in for his interview. He's reading a playgirl magazine that either he brought or has it, but he has it out in the open And I don't know if that's just a a kickoff to what you can expect from this guy. But, you know, right away, the way Jack Nicholson also played him, there is this craziness to him immediately. And King didn't like this because Jack didn't get to follow the path he had set out for him in the book. Basically, Stephen King's Jack is about the journey into the anger of a man. And Stanley Kubrick's Jack represents the evil of mankind. Again, like getting back to those themes we just discussed about the battle internally between the subconscious and the unconscious and living kind of in that middle state and, you know, not letting one get too much hold of you. So I understand this point for sure, but this is always going to be the issues in a feature film. They've got around two hours to tell the story and not a lot of time to devote to character development. You know, if this is a 10 part Netflix series, 
you can fully flesh out the characters in the movie. You've got to get things moving pretty quickly because there's a lot of other story to tell. And to me, anytime you go into a movie based on a book, you have to think of it as an adaptation rather than a recreation of that story because, and, and this is probably the best thing you can do to enjoy each thing as its own separate entity. The, the classic thing of like, it's not as good as the book or whatever. You, you have to stop looking at it that way. The average book could take you, say, eight to 10 hours of real time to read it. So obviously there's so much more detail that they can go into. With a movie, they've got to pretty much throw you right into the story and that world. And I'll touch upon this with, uh, as a good example, Ready Player One, if you're a fan of 80s related things in pop culture. We'll get to that in a bit. Second reason Stephen King didn't like The Shining was, and I mentioned before, he didn't like the casting of Jack Nicholson. And he Stephen King thought that Nicholson was now too famous an actor to be in the movie. So Nicholson had just come off of One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and is now a superstar and a very high profile actor. King thought this would detract from the movie as you're now watching this star, this familiar actor perform as opposed to watching Jack Torrance. And in King's mind, he thought the part would be better played by an everyman type actor like John Voight. And he even wanted Christopher Reeves to be uh, Superman himself to be um, perfect for the role and wanted him cast in it, which I could, I could, a million percent see Christopher Reeve playing this, I think very well too, because he's kind of got that quiet, you know, he seems like uh, an accountant, like a guy next door, but you could see he could kind of descend into this madness pretty well. And I, I, I do understand and I kind of agree with this issue King had, because I have the same problem whenever I see big name actors cast in certain roles and studios obviously want the best talent and stars to create interest in their project, but I think it can detract from the role they're trying to play. And my, the, the best example, and even though he's amazing is Tom Hanks to me, he's, you know, an incredible actor, but I don't see the character anymore. I just see Tom Hanks, no matter who he's playing. Uh, it's, it's almost like I'm watching Tom Hanks, the man just going through the lines. Like he's still, you know, giving a good performance, but I don't, like if you've seen the trailers again, it's not out yet, so I can't fully say. But the trailers for the Mister Rogers movie, I I just don't see him dissolving into the character of Mister Rogers. I just see Tom Hanks performing again, and I find that distracting. You know, compared to good example, you know, like say Daniel Day Lewis or Gary Oldman, like fully. Uh, transform into those characters but then again that a lot of that is due to uh you know makeup and costumes and everything like that you know not taking it that's just the best example i can think of and that's the problem uh, stephen king had that you're not watching jack torrance you're watching jack nicholson this famous actor and he he was you know not even on his way to how famous he was going to become Third reason King didn't like The Shining, he didn't think there was enough substance to the movie. And this one is obviously tough to see eye to eye with them on. Just because of how this movie needed more time to evolve and develop. He thought the movie was very striking and had very strong visuals, but that's as far as it went in his mind. He compared the movie to a beautiful car with no engine. He believes those striking images are surface and not substance. And again, disagreeing. 
this I think is just not letting the movie sink in and making an impact. The same thing it did with audiences and all these other movies. Do you like think like 2001 a space odyssey people hated that movie at first and now it's considered, you know, one of the best of all time. It took the public a while to go deeper into the themes and the tone uh, of the shining. And now that the time has passed, you see how much substance there is in every frame of this movie. And the themes run so deep just with the ones I just explained before. And that's just touching on some of them. The movie will be open for interpretation. I believe for as long as movies exist and no one's ever going to be able to land on a definitive, definitive explanation to fully explain it and to narrow and nail down all these themes. I think, and this is the, which happens with movies. I think because the images are so striking in the shining, they do distract you from any underlying theme or motif that it's trying to convey. But over time, we've seen how the shining is this perfect combination of visuals and theme. And the problem obviously for a movie is it is a visual spectacle and it has to be a visual spectacle spectacle because it's a visual medium. It needs the imagery and there's just no way around that. Okay. The fourth problem Stephen King had was the difference between warmth and cold. And this might be the biggest issue separating the movie from the book. And this may come down to the ideological differences between Stephen King and Stanley Kubrick. At the end of the book, spoilers again here, the hotel is burnt to the ground. In the movie, Jack freezes to death. And King sees this as the actual difference between warmth and cold. The main reason for this is because King wanted warmth and fire and everything because he sees the Overlook Hotel as representing hell. So it needed to burn down in flames. The problem is Stanley Kubrick didn't believe in hell. So he didn't want to go that route with the movie. Kubrick preferred that Jack freezes to death and that there be no inclusion of fire or hell-like imagery. And this may be at the core of why Stephen King hated The Shining. The book is hot. The movie is cold if you really want to um, simplify it. And the fifth reason here is that the portrayal of Jack may be hit a little too close to home for Stephen King. So to understand this, you have to know a little bit of the backstory of Stephen King. And the man has not been without his demons, and he's never shied away from admitting this, especially in the 70s. The portrayal of Jack in the movie, you know, maybe felt too familiar. The movie takes this different portrayal of Jack, which from the book, which inadvertently mirrored that of King. In the movie, as with his own life, you have the story of a writer who is the father of a young child and has issues with rage and substance abuse. So Stephen King had been going through this exact same scenario and had admitted to feelings of antagonism towards his own children. These traits were reflected in Jack. And again, this might have just been a bit too much to swallow. So that's uh, the the five main reasons here. And to sort of start winding this whole thing down, like I, I mentioned, I want to touch on Ready Player One for a few different reasons. And the first is that this is another perfect example of not expecting a movie to be just like the book. The world in the Ready Player One book is so, and I did a whole podcast on this if you want to look back on the previous episodes. 
this book is so deep and expansive and that just cannot be reflected in a film because mainly there's not enough time. Technologically, there is the capability now to recreate anything, which, you know, movies like this 10, 15, eh, maybe 10, 15 years ago plus wouldn't be able to be recreated. In Ready Player One, the book has so much more backstory on the history of Wade, the Oasis, where he grew up. It would take up almost an entire movie just to you know go through the story without anything being able to play out compared to you know like say a Netflix series where say Stranger Things is as an example is a good length of time to go deeper into the characters and the backstory. But with a feature film, it's just not possible. So movies like these are best enjoyed when you see them more is capturing the spirit of the book. And the other thing, just including Ready Player One, is the brilliant use they made of referencing The Shining. And hopefully you've seen this. If not, during one of the searches for one of the keys, the main characters are taken into a recreation of The Shining where they have to navigate through the movie based on their knowledge of it, which this was not in the book. This was created specifically for the movie. And to me, the best part of the movie and a, a perfect tribute to The Shining and Stanley Kubrick. And one of the best scenes I'd seen in a movie in a long time. Pretty amazing. Okay. So wrapping it up, that's why Stephen King hated The Shining. Uh, he brings up a few good points, but I have to respectfully disagree with his overall interpretations of this movie. And like I said, The Shining is a movie that stays with you long after you've watched it. And for me, you always find yourself like excited to watch it again. Like you can't wait to see it. It's become part of pop culture and it's woven its way into the fabric of cinema. Stanley Kubrick was able to take this story in a completely different direction from an already amazing and famous book, but create a whole new narrative that wasn't found in that book, which is awesome too. And again, that speaks to his genius and everything like that. They did release a shining TV series. I don't know if you remember this in 1997 and this was King's attempt to um, display more of what he had in mind with a, a movie version. But again, it was a TV series, so it could go a little deeper, but it wasn't that successful and it had the problem of trying to, you know, surmount and outdo one of the greatest movies of all time. Okay, let's call it a day there. Hopefully you like this episode and makes you appreciate more, some new things you didn't know about The Shining. And again, there's always things to be learning about this movie. So thanks for checking it out. If you know anyone who might like this episode or is interested in Shining-related things, feel free to share it with them. Again, if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe wherever you find your podcast. I should be there. That's it for me. I'll see you later. Bye.